This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. It's Michael here, and today I've got a very special human being on the line, Ed Squire. Welcome to the show. Michael, thanks for having me. Great to have you. We met back in February 2019 at the New Media Summit, and your story and your journey, especially the journey that you're on now, um, is is huge. Um, and one of the things that impresses me most about you, I mean, there's a ton of things, and I found out earlier you're Canadian, so that, that that's bonus points as well. Uh, but um, nothing against my American friends. I'm American too, okay? Yes, but anyway... What's, what's, what's crucial is the fact that you've, you've learned and continue to learn how to go through life and pick up different ways to approach things based on what happened um, in your life in the past and how you've grown with it. So uh, tell the story um, best you can, you know, and whatever you're comfortable with of, uh, of your journey, what, you know, what's going on and some of the you know, things that uh, you're doing today. Uh, thanks, Mike. I, I, again, I really appreciate you having me on the show, and and that I sincerely mean that uh, from the bottom of my heart. It's a wonderful privilege, and uh, I love I love the work you do, what you teach, and what you stand for, your platform. So it's it's a real honor to be here and uh, and uh, have this opportunity. So you know, yeah, like I'm I'm Canadian, uh, like you are, but I've lived in the U.S. Uh, since 2003, and uh, the majority of my career, I've been a strategic business consultant for Fortune 500 companies in the United States, Canada, and Europe, and uh, mostly working with uh, CIOs and um, you know, upper level management and teaching them how to improve their business processes and how to maximize efficiency and put industry best practice standards into their, into their organizations. And these are global companies, so they're not mom and pop shop type of organization. So it's, it's, it's been an amazing career to be able to do something like that and uh, it sounds impressive, and I say that because I used to really hang my identity on what I did uh, as a job and a career as opposed to who I was as a person, and that's really what my journey is all about and what everything has happened in my life uh, brought me to that point, and uh, it's, it's kind of like a mixture of, uh, if you've ever seen uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in Catch Me If You Can, so I've, I've, I've learned to adapt and overcome. And if I found a way that I could get paid a, a six-figure salary, well, I'll, I'll just Google that and figure out how to do it. And, you know, if they figure out that I, I really don't know what I'm doing, well, then, you know, they'll let me go. But they still have to pay me for the time I was there. And that's a very stressful way to run a career. <laughs> but, um, you know, eventually I did become very good at what I did. But the problem was, why, why would somebody pursue a career like that? Why would you not just get into something that you're educated uh, for, you're certified in, and maybe you have a passion for it? I mean, that's what normal people do, do we not? And uh, for me, I've been in flight or, or in, in fight or flight mode all my life because my real story where everything stems from is childhood sexual abuse that I experienced um, from the ages of four till uh, 10 by three different men. And that's a huge issue in our culture today, as everybody knows. And, um, you know, that, that really uh, kind of overshadows everything that I've done in my life and brought me to where I am now with my nonprofit and us meeting at the New Media Summit 
And now I'm on what I, you know, what I, it's, I'm on a true journey of, of, of a life that I enjoy and of, of, of loving and liking the person that I've become. And I'm in business doing something I have a passionate, a passion about. And I get to use all of the skills that I've learned in my professional career. And now it's, it's, you know, in service to other people and it's doing good in the community and for our culture. And that's, that's really a snapshot of, of, uh, you know, uh, everything in a, in, in a couple of minutes. Yeah. Your, your story definitely, I remember, um, when you shared it, um, and for those that aren't familiar, the new media summit has around 200 people attend the conference and, you know, you sharing your story, I know resonated with, with a lot of people. And, and I, you know, I agree. Unfortunately, it's, it's, uh, you know, childhood sexual abuse is, is something that, um, is, you know, unfortunately prevalent. We hear about it and, you know, from a personal story and I've not shared this before now, um, but a, a very good friend of mine, um, his brother, um, was recently arrested, um, accused of, of CSA. And again, I don't know the circumstances behind it. It was in the newspaper, uh, back home. And, you know, I feel for, everyone involved, you know, cause when I, when I found out about it, you know, it, it hit me as if, you know, it was, you know, you know, my own brother. Um, and you know, my friend I've known for 40 something years. So it's, um, you know, for the family and for, you know, the victims and everybody involved, it's, um, a, a tough situation, but you know, it, it, it happens and it, it's horrible that it does. Uh, but I think one of the things, and we talked about this briefly in, in the pre-show, was how you know not not so distant past, you were able to get past um, the victim mentality, and that is not easy. What happened to you? you know, and no one can sugarcoat this. It was absolutely horrible, and you know. No one would second guess you at all if you chose to continue to you know, choose this, you know, and you're not diminishing what happened, but the mindset of, you know, being a victim of this situation and you've changed your mindset on this and, you know, talk a little bit about that and, and, and I'm guessing it wasn't easy to do that. No, it, you know, uh, Michael, it took me my entire life up until, um, actually, this is a very, just before we, you know, got on the, on the call together, I was looking at Facebook and I, I, I realized that today is a major, major anniversary for me. Three years ago today, I was in my hometown in Prince George and I was asked by a childhood friend of mine, her name was Heather Young. She asked me to come and speak at a book signing event and a book reading event that she was going to do in, in my hometown in Prince George. And um, the reason why she was asking me to come and speak was because her book was, uh, 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 it, it chronicled uh, to the best of her recollection, uh, uh, everything she did to try to prevent her brother, uh, Jim Young, who was a childhood friend of mine I grew up with. We lived on the same street. They lived right like, just, down, just down a few houses down. Jim ended up committing suicide at age 25. And um, he, was, uh, he was sexually abused by the same teacher that abused me. And this teacher abused many, many boys. 
and you know nobody ever spoke out about this and um you know i, I kind of ignored jim's death uh, all my life when i when i heard about it i was actually living in florida in the late 90s and i heard that this had happened and i i knew i knew why jim had done that and i i just put it out of my mind and i think a lot of survivors we do our best just to get on with it we do our best to forget it we do our best to become you know you know overcome these things and and we do our best to you know uh, you know either think or maybe maybe do what we can so that it doesn't affect our lives and who we are and we and so we live in a place where we're okay and we're, we're really what happens is we build a life around ourselves where we're safe and so she had written this book and invited me to come back to prince george and speak and I did, and I hadn't been home for many, many years. And there I was standing in front of a couple hundred people. And I began sharing my story of what this guy had done. And I wasn't in therapy for this. I didn't pursue any, any uh, psychological help. Um, you know, I, I was never uh, ashamed to talk about it to a certain degree, but I kept myself safe from you know, a certain level of, of detail, the things that really were really hurtful and shameful. And it was, so it was May 30th, uh, three years ago. And then four weeks after I spoke at that event, I ended up on disability with post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, anxiety and depression. And I was used to being a high-end corporate consultant for Fortune 500 companies. And suddenly I found myself unable to concentrate enough to do, to do my job. Something was seriously happening in my head. And so, you know, what... You know, to, to get to your answer your question, how do you get out of that victim mode? You know, and a lot of people ask these days, why does it take so many years for someone to come out and say something that they were abused so many years ago? And and I under, I understand why that is. And and in in most cases, it's because you're you're triggered by something, an event, a happening, a conversation, a memory, something triggers, and all of a sudden the memories that you had. And the impact of that trauma begins to flood your brain. And it's, it's proven in, in neurology that, that, that your brain actually is uh, impacted and it's physiologically changed through trauma. Whether you, you could even be just a, uh, you could be a, a, a service uh, a member in, uh, you know, in, in war and you experience post-traumatic stress disorder, your brain gets impacted. And so for me, what happened was, you know, I, I, I I, I found myself unable to do my job, and then I began to question, you know, what it, why is this happening? What is going on with me? Why can't I get my act together? What, you know, I mean, this, you know, I'm, okay, maybe I'm having a midlife crisis at the same time. It's a combination of midlife crisis. You know, I've been divorced for about, you know, six or eight years, and I'm dealing with these things from the past. Clearly, I need a, I need a break, but it was more than that. So over the next couple of years, which is only, this is only three years ago, right? So over the next couple of years, I got into very intensive uh, uh, therapy, you know, psychological therapy and um, working with psychiatrists, a mental health therapist, and, and began to understand the impact of what happens to an individual's brain uh, when these things happen at the various stages of life that they can happen. And for me, it began at age four and continued until 10 by three different men. And what happens is physiologically your brain is impacted by that trauma to the point of where, in a lot of cases, you you slow down or stop the uh, maturity that you would normally have if you weren't if you weren't uh, abused or suffer from that trauma. 
And, and so that as, as you grow older, you have this gap between what you look like as a human being and how you think and emotionally act in, internally. And your outward world uh, looks very different than how you feel on the inside and you wonder what's wrong with you. But it's a silent, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a very silent personal pain that you, that you deal with. And so well, by the time this happened, you know, three years ago, uh, I just I dug into it and I began to realize, hey, number one, I, I understand it's not my fault. When you understand that, but you really internalize that, then you have to grapple with the fact that, okay, if let's say you were run over by a car, you were just standing and it wasn't your fault. The reality is now you've got a, maybe you've got two broken legs or a broken pelvis. You, you can't ignore the damage that's been done. So now what do you do? You, you, you're a victim, right? And you really are. It's not your fault this happened, but the reality is, hey, I've got broken bones and broken legs and whatnot. When it comes to mental health, you don't see it externally like that. When I walk into a room, it doesn't look like there's anything wrong with me. And so now how do you, so how do you, how do you come to terms with, okay, this happened to me, I am now broken and I need to get fixed. How do you overcome that? And, and you know, Michael, there's no simple answer. I think for me, it was a combination of educating myself as to what the impacts were from this sort of thing and um, getting the mental health uh, getting the therapy that I did, uh, you know, understanding the diagnosis that I had, getting on the right uh, uh, medication to help me uh, manage and deal with things uh, day by day, and just staying on a constant program of, of understanding what happened, coming to find out who I am, and how do I get out of the victim mode and get my life back. And, and that's, that's what I've done over the last three years. And one year ago, which is another great anniversary, one year ago, I started a nonprofit called Me Too What Now? And it, um, it's a, a, a video-based nonprofit where I, I, I create videos on, on this topic and I, I do it in a very unique and different way. I, I do it in a way that I, I couldn't find was available online. And I thought this could be uh, helpful or useful to uh, other survivors. And one year later, it turns out it has been for me, it's been more wildly successful than I ever anticipated. And so, you know, the combination of all these things and getting busy and, and not looking at myself as a victim anymore and getting out of the internalizing that and understanding that I do have control over my life. I can take what, you know, the mess that my life has become and I can make something beautiful out of that. And um, it, it takes work. And so there's no quick and easy answer, but that's, that's the process that I've gone through uh, in the last uh, number of years. And I can honestly say I don't have any regrets. And, um, uh, you know, that's, that's a difficult thing to say because it changed my entire life. But I don't have any regrets because I, I think I know myself at a deeper emotional and psychological level, level than I ever would have known if this didn't happen to me. And I look at that as being a gift because I don't think you know, a lot of people really know who they are uh, deep down inside at that level. And I, I love I love that. And then when you connect with other people, like I love listening to um, uh, Lisa McDonald on the last, on uh, the previous podcast. And I just totally connect with her. I understand what she's saying. And uh, with knowing that there's a ebb and flow to life and there's a path of least resistance and that's where your journey should go. And there's no struggle in the path of least resistance. And, and so life has become something I wake up every morning looking forward to and I'm thankful for every day. So that's, that's, um, you know, that's, that's my story. It's an amazing and hero's journey is not, I'm not saying that tongue in cheek. It, it's, it, it's, it demonstrates 
you know, what you've done and what you've accomplished and, you know, the realization, especially, you know, after you went back home and then, you know, the, the PTSD or CPTSD that came about from that, you took action and you said, okay, I need to deal with this. And you had a team of people because oftentimes people will unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, will just go to their doctor and their doctor will prescribe them 30 milligrams of whatever. And that's that. And you went through a series of different medical professionals working along the way, using medication um, as a tool to help you progress through um, these experiences and, you know, the, the PTSD um, in a way that would get you to where you are now. Um, and unfortunately I see too many people will get prescribed something, um, antidepressant or anti-anxiety or something along those lines. And that's where it stops. And they don't deal with the, um, you know, the psychological things and, and like you had, you know, discussed, you know, when something like this happens at the ages that it happened to you, your brain will, you know, not match up from a maturity standpoint as where you are physically. And it's almost, and maybe this is a bad example, but I oftentimes I think of, you know, in situations like this where the brain and where you are are in two different places, it's like things are out of sync and, Oh, absolutely. That's, that's a very good way of putting it. Yes. And, you know, presenting yourself in the world and, you know, you know, working with, you know, corporations and executives and all of that kind of stuff to the point where you weren't able to do anything, you know, at first blush, you're like, what in the world's going on? And, and, you know, that had to be, you know, one of those things where you're like, this is strange. And, and you start going through your brain. It's like, okay, did you know, I take something, did I eat something weird? Why am I in this mode? And, you know, the, the fact that you had the wherewithal to figure out, okay, something is not right here and I need to do something about it uh, speaks volumes uh, to your own self-care and, and the ability to do the things you do. We'll be back to the show in a moment, but first I want to let you know today's show is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, CloudHQ. With CloudHQ, you get access to over 20,000 influencers that have been curated by brands just like yours. If you're a brand, you know how difficult it is to find and connect with the influencers that your audience already knows and trusts. That's why I suggest you get CloudHQ. When you sign up today, you get access to over 20,000 influencers on Instagram. You can see loads of data about their profile and engagement rates before you reach out and you have direct access to their contact information so you can reach out to them on or off the platform. When you reach out to them on the platform, they offer automation tools so you can reach out to a bunch of those influencers at one time. This will save you a lot of time and I guarantee it'll pay for itself in the first year. For Breakfast Leadership listeners, I'm offering a special discount. Normally, an enterprise subscription would go for over $1,500 a year. My friends at CloudHQ are offering a subscription for just $499 a year. That's a savings of over $1,000. You can sign up today by using the discount code BREAKFAST and save, like I said, over $1,000 a year. CloudHQ is a wonderful option for any brands that are looking to influence their marketing and looking to get their program off the ground. So sign up today using the link in our show notes and use the code BREAKFAST and let me know what you think. Like I said, I guarantee it'll pay for itself in its first year. CloudHQ is an amazing offer and it's a good option for anybody that's interested in influencer marketing. Now back to the show. 
you know, and I think, uh, I think, it, and this is what I based my mission and my vision on for my nonprofit. I think the biggest thing that holds people back is the fear and the shame and the stigma associated with this. And I mean, it, I don't think it, I know it. There's, there's no question. I've, I've talked to countless people over the last year and interviewed uh, many people. And it's, it's the number one thing that comes up that prevents people from, from getting the help that they need. And, um, you know, once, once, you know, once you just, you just, I think that the, the best thing a person can do is, is find someone to talk to. You don't have to stand in front of your hometown group, <laughs> you know, and uh, do a presentation like I did and traumatize yourself. But, you know, but really it started for me was, it was actually, it was earlier in the previous year. So that was in May of 2016. But in the, in the previous December, I, I met a, uh, a gentleman who became a good friend of mine and he owned a nonprofit that was, that helped men uh, overcome the trauma of uh, divorce. It's, it's particularly if you had children and, how do you how do you deal with that? And um, he's the first person that I ever sat with. And he said to me, "We're in a Starbucks." And he goes, "So what?" He says, um, "Tell me your story. Tell me tell me all about you." And I thought, you know what? I I just feel safe with this guy. I like I like what he does, and I I just I just you know, I, I trust him. And I thought, you know what? I'm for the first time I'm going to unload, and I'm going to tell this guy everything. And I did, and you know. Everything came out and you know, he didn't bat an eye at my story, which surprised me because I thought, man, this is, you know, when you hear my real story, it's just, I've always, you know, survivors, when it, when it first comes out, you just want to, you, you tend to dramatize. And, and, and I think rightly so because of the impact it's had on your life and you're finally getting it off your chest. <clears throat> but it just was so wonderful that I shared all this stuff. He sat there. He didn't say a word. At the very end, he said, you know, Ed, I really appreciate you sharing your story with me. And um, uh, let's get together again. I, I, I'd like to do that. And I said, okay. You know, and, and he left. And that was the first time I ever really, really came out like that. And I think that's really what opened up the doors for me for everything. Everything happened after that that I never tried to make happen. And, uh, you know, everything from getting involved with a great mental health care team, and I even got into uh, group therapy because I learned that that is a very important part of recovery. And I thought, a group therapy, oh my God, that means like getting in front of a group of guys that have gone through this, I don't want to do that. And, um, but I knew that it was necessary. So I, I would ask myself, why? Why don't you want to do that? Like, what are, you, what are you afraid of? There couldn't be a safer place than another group of guys going through the same thing. But it's, it boils back to fear and shame. So I forced myself to go and I forced myself to engage in the activities that I, I knew cognitively, this is what you do to recover. But emotionally, oh my God, it's something I don't want to do, but I want, I want to get better. So you know, I, started, I got started going to group therapy. It was, you know, once I got started, it was, it was, it was wonderful. And everything that I've done as a part of my recovery that was difficult and shameful, I no longer, uh, Nothing is, is, is difficult or shameful anymore. Um, well, I mean, there's, you know, things are difficult. You still overcome things day to day, but certainly not to the uh, degree that they used to be when I, when I got started. But it's, it's important to find out, you know, what, what do you need to do? How do I get better? And the first thing I think is just, just finding someone safe to talk to. It's crucial. And once you feel a place that's safe to share your story and, and you know, with people that 
either a or like in the situation when you shared it for the first time someone that was completely non-judgmental didn't blink thanked you uh, and he was genuine with that because it's one of those things where you know I've, I've had people tell me things and you know my reaction was the same so you know thank you for trusting me for you to share your story with me um, and it means a lot to the person that's receiving the story because there's that element of trust going, okay, this person just shared something that is as vulnerable as you get. I mean, short of, you know, cutting open your chest and saying, here's my heart, you pierce it once and I'm gone. I mean, that's about the extent of it. Um, and that's, it's a very special moment. So I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, that that gentleman was able to do that. And then also too, you know, you, you, I loved how you, you were able to you know get past the, you know, going into a group therapy session going, I don't want to talk to in front of these people and all that, but you, you discovered that, okay, I'm going into a situation with like-minded people, which we all try to uh, be around, but also people that have had similar experiences to you. So they're, yeah, maybe a little bit different time, circumstances, who, and all of that. But ultimately, it ends up being um, a very similar situation. So again, it's safe for you to be able to to heal um, from those things and to you know learn others and 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 get past the. And I know this happens, and I talk with people that have been victims of a variety of things. It helps them get past the feeling that you're the only person that have ever gone through this. Well, you, you just nailed it, right? You just nailed it. It's, it's when I, I think when you, when, you, when you feel like a victim and you share your story, you, you want somebody to care. You want, you want to impact somebody with your dramatic story, and it is a dramatic story. And you, you, you want them to reach out and just say, I'm so sorry and that this happened to you. And, and, and those are good things. And these are natural, I think these are natural human responses to people's trauma and tragedy in their lives. But as, as a victim, you're, 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 you're getting what you're looking for. And that is, I want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to feel my pain. And, and it's a subconscious thing. You know, you feel validated when someone says, says that. But when someone just simply says, thank you for sharing your story, and they're not, they're not like blown away by it and feeling sorry for you, it, it shifts your mind into a different gear. It's like, oh, it's like, it, it wasn't that big of a deal to this guy. I mean, he knows everything. Well, it just... It just felt comforting. And with the group therapy, it was the same thing. I'll never forget my first day. I go in there and, and they, I you know, get introduced and I get to share my story. So out comes all this drama. This happened and that happened and this and that. And it's all horrible. And all the guys sat there like they're just listening. Right? There's, no, there's no emotional reaction. There's no like, oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. You know, and then when I was done, it was so funny. I never learned. I didn't know what being in the moment was. I never knew what staying present meant. I never knew what I never knew what these things were. And and uh, when I finished, you know, it's kind of my heart was beating. My my breath was rapid. The the facilitator he looks at me. He goes, he says, um, "Are you okay?" And I thought, I'm thinking, well, of course I'm okay. I mean, my but my mind was in such rapid motion from unloading all this information in a safe place, and and not getting a, a response. I didn't know how to how to act, and he said he said um, why don't, why don't you just let's sit down let's let's everybody just 
let's just be present for a few minutes. I mean, so that was the follow-up to my big story. Right? So there was no questions. There was no, oh my God. There was, it was just, hey, let's, let's all just be present for a moment. And it just took me from this heightened state of unloading my story again in a different environment. And it just brought me down to a place where like, hey, you know what? This, my story is not that much different than everybody else in this room. That's why nobody's shocked by my story. They've, some people's stories here are worse than mine, but we all have the same story. We were, we were traumatized. We were, we were abused. We had this happen. It wasn't our fault. And here we are all together, getting better together. And so it just, you know, that was just really, you know, all these steps are, are what helped get me out of victim mode and um, being able to finally say, you know what, I am in control of my life. What do I want to do with my life? And the time that's gone by doesn't matter. And, and now I get to have a blank canvas in my life and do anything I want. I don't have to follow just the reactions of my life. Like, oh, I need to make a lot of money because that's, you know, I, I want to be uh, validated by that. And I want people to think I'm a certain, uh, you know, professional. I want people to think something of me by what I do and what I make and who I know. And now I can just be who, who I am. Right? That's who I'm defined by, or that's what I'm defined by. It's just, it's who I am. It's, it's not by what I do. And that's, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know what the percentage of population of people that, that feel that way about themselves, but I know for me, it was, it was not that way for, for, for a long, long time. It's very freeing. A couple things to bring up there. One, you know, the, okay, we're going to just be in the moment. Um, yeah. Especially when, when you share, your story in a, a public setting, your, your natural inclination is like, okay, what's the reaction going to be? And when you get really no reaction, you know, it's like stoic. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll jump, I'll segue in a minute and I'll, I'll make a quick note here to, um, to, to say something, a, a similar experience, but different context and all that stuff. But, uh, basically the frame we're looking for you know reaction and didn't get anything um but the the second thing that um that really jumped out about it is you can't change the past and i think too many of us want to repaint things and and even when we you know we've grown and now have accepted and we're living an ideal life and we're enjoying ourselves oftentimes we see either ourselves or other people uh, like to go down a not so well-known bob seeger song but it's one of my favorite ones it's called revisionism street it's on one of his more recent recordings and it just talks about how we revise history and we change things what to what actually happened to something that feels more comfortable for us the fact that you're like okay i'm painting my life now i can only paint a future portrait so i can't paint a past portrait that's done you know it's it's and and even even now and i know this happens with me too is when i look back at at my life and things that have happened in my life i they look different to me now than they did 2 years ago or 3 years ago or 10 years ago they just look different because you have different perspectives and how you approach life and how things happen and and how you view things 
you know, changes over time. So it's, it's absolutely amazing. So real quick on the not getting a reaction. This was, oh, probably 13, 14 years ago. Um, and I won't go into the details on how it happened. But basically, I delivered a sermon at a Chinese Baptist church for their English portion of their show or their um, um, sermon. Okay, so there's like 40, 40 people in the congregation. They're all Chinese. You've seen me. I'm not. Um, so I, I, I give this sermon, and throughout the sermon, you know, I'm looking around, looking to see if there's acknowledgement, reaction. There, it's something I'm saying is resonating with them. And they could have been statues. There was absolutely no reaction whatsoever. So after I finished, uh, I say thank you and, and wrap it up. And then there was a little coffee thing afterwards. And for like 40 minutes, they're all telling me all of the you know things that I said and you know what they enjoyed about it and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, so you were listening, but you gave no recognition whatsoever that you were even alive. So it, it was it just whenever I hear about, you know, no reaction, for some reason, that popped in my head for some reason. Which, you can't, uh, you don't know what other people are feeling and experiencing, but just because they're not showing anything. That's right? true. And that was a life lesson for me. It's like, don't necessarily, you know, if they're smiling, you know, they might be smiling because they, you know, appreciate it or they could be thinking about something else or maybe they've got gas. Who knows? You know, it could yeah, be get off the stage. Can't wait till you get off the stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, hold your questions till, you know, afterwards. So, so, oh boy. So, you know, now, so you're a year into, uh, me too, what now? And, um, you know, the content you have on there is amazing. And, you know, you. and, and the stuff too is, you know, video captures things. Um, and, and of course I say this on a, on an audio podcast, but it, there's something about video um, when it comes to, you know, teaching content, sharing stories and connecting um, people with things or experiences or lessons or whatever the case may be. So you know, what, you know, what prompted you to do, you know, the video route on it instead of just, you know, writing blog posts or things like that? What, what was some of the, uh, uh, the thinking behind the video angle of things. Well, I, I love when people ask me that question because I, I appreciate the, the uh, compliment on the videos and, um, you know, just the fact that I'm into it one year and doing YouTube, is, it's not an easy thing and trying to grow and trying to get views and trying to make that work. And especially on this topic, or the childhood sexual abuse, are you kidding me? Like I, I, I couldn't pick the worst topic on the planet to try to be popular at. But after one year, and I just, I'm just wrapping up my, today, my strategic plan for this coming fiscal year, I've got over oh, what is that? close to 13,000 minutes of views, 110 uh, um, subscribers, and over, I think it's about, I think it's 5,000, 5,000 unique views. And I've only got 37 videos on that, on the channel. And so by, by YouTube standards, that's, that's, that is you know, I'm, I'm really happy with those results. It's, it really has shocked me. But to get started in it, uh, I had a, my, my, my worship pastor say to me one time, he said, you know, Ed, he said, you should, you should vlog your recovery and then and, and upload that to YouTube. I, I think people would be interested in, 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 in watching that. And I looked at him, I thought, you got to be crazy. Um, I think that's a 
really dumb idea. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? Uh, first of all, I don't, I don't own a camera. I've never made any video, but to put my life of recovery on, I mean, I appreciate that we have a close connection and I, I tell you all the details, but you think I should put that up on, on, on YouTube for what reason? And so, you know, he's actually on my board of directors and his name is um, uh, Aaron Bjorklund. And uh, you know, he really is the kind of the, you know, the, one of the, the main guys who encouraged me to do this. And so what I did was I, I got a camera, I sat in front of it and I just thought, okay, well, if I was going to do this, what would I say? And I recorded myself a bunch of times. I looked at it back and I thought, this is ridiculous because first of all, I look extremely uncomfortable in my skin. I clearly don't have a lot of self-confidence with what I'm doing and I have nothing, nothing of value to say. <laughs> and, uh, and then I thought, you know, if I take all the parts out of that video that um, sounds stupid and like, I don't know what I'm talking about that and, and take that and put that together, add some funky music to it. It would actually be a funny blooper reel and there may not be any value in it, but I know I would laugh at it. So I, that's what I did. And, um, you know, what happened, Michael, is I, I went through this, this process of looking at myself in a video and, and seeing the uncomfortableness in my own skin that I had and how I, I, I just didn't know who I was. I didn't have self-confidence. And there's nothing better than listening to yourself or watching yourself on video to help you overcome uh, uh, insecurities and, uh, you know, uh, nuances about, your, about who you are. And then I thought, you know, this is, this is actually a good therapeutic thing for me. To, to do. And then I thought, you know, what, what, what is the content like that's out there on YouTube? So I began to research. Of course, my background is in, is in corporate business analysis, strategic um, uh, business planning and implementation on a, on, a, on a global scale for large companies. And I thought, man, what if I applied that experience that I have into this and see what happens? So I found out on YouTube and everywhere else on the internet, for the most part, I, I really couldn't find any content that, that was uplifting for one thing on this topic uh, and I couldn't find anything other than really survivors telling their stories or nonprofits um, you know the, uh, teaching or having a special speaker or a professional or they're promoting an event or something but there was no nothing interesting to keep me engaged and wanting to come back and so I you know I decided to find out what what makes a youtuber successful and it was the it was my number one fear and my biggest my biggest weakness is is what you need to be successful at youtube and and that is if you're if you're authentic and you're genuine in communicating whatever your story or whatever your product is that's what it takes to be successful on youtube and you can tell by the content on youtube it doesn't matter what the topic is you could be a wonderful person or you could be not so wonderful you may have a great product or you could you could even be you could be someone who scrapes gum off the sidewalk. And I, I'm not joking. I actually, I searched that on YouTube, scrape gum off the sidewalk. That, that can't possibly be there. Well, there is. And there's a guy who's got 15,000 views on a video on how to get gum off the sidewalk. He's a city worker in LA or something like that. And he shows other people techniques that he uses to get gum off the sidewalk. And he's just a regular, wonderful person. And so I thought, what if I just applied that attitude in the moment with where I'm at, not trying to pretend to be someone who has overcome the, all the difficulties, not trying to pretend to be an authority on the topic, but just just live, just just be myself on YouTube. Maybe interview some other people. Maybe just like what, just 
just create content that is just my life and uh, just start putting it out there. And that's, that's what I did. And, and then I got the idea that, you know, maybe this could be a good idea for a nonprofit. And uh, so now, you know, that my tagline is find yourself, live yourself, give yourself. And those are the three, those are, those really encompass the five stages of recovery from trauma, from a, from a clinical uh, perspective that psychologists use. And it's my, my version of, of, of that process put into three different categories. And I'm just beginning now this year. Part of my strategy is to is to build that out and and write an ebook on you know, what does it mean to find yourself, live yourself, give yourself. Create a, a series of videos that that talk about that and my experiences with kind of like what we were talking about today. How did I overcome being a victim? How did I overcome uh, you know telling someone my story for the first time? And these are all steps that I took to find myself and then begin to live myself and then begin to give of my life into into society. And, and that's really the, the process of recovery. So it's, it's just like you guys were talking about in your previous uh, podcast I was listening to. It's just, you know, these things are just happening for me. And I'm not trying to make them happen. It's a path of least resistance that's taking place. I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. And now I'm, now I'm making a couple of documentaries. Uh, I, I filed a lawsuit against the school board in British Columbia because there's no statute of limitations there. And also against the teacher. This was a couple of years ago. It wrapped up last year. And when I was in Vancouver, I took my camera equipment and I did some crazy things like set up, set up my, I had my camera and two GoPros at the time. It, it was all junky equipment. I've got much better equipment now, but, but I set them up on the streets of Vancouver and um, I uh, set up some posters and I began to interview passersby on the street um, and asking them what they thought about the school board's decision to ignore uh, this, uh, this, uh, this lawsuit. And that became, um, you know, I, I posted some of these uh, clips on the internet and people were like, wow, this should be a documentary. And I'm like, okay, I know nothing about documentaries, but I sure know how to Google. I know how to Google a career. That's what I did for, in the past. Let me Google how you make a documentary. So I've been working on this for the last year or so and, and uh, begin, you know, uh, filmmakers and directors and writers and producers have been coming into my life. And, and so now I'm, I'm, I'm actually, you know, uh, creating a, 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 my, my first documentary on my lawsuit uh, this year. And I'm going to vlog that journey on my channel, what it's going to take to get that done. And then I have another documentary in the works for uh, the year after that. So, so things are, are, are happening and, that's that's the story of how I got started and how it's morphed into what it is today. It's an amazing hero's journey, as I said before, and I look forward to that documentary and, and also the you know the behind the scenes of of how to make it and the lives that it's going to impact. That's that's what's so crucial to me, and the the impact, the ripple effect you're going to have with this is uh, going to be. Um, absolutely amazing. So, Ed, where can people find out a little bit more about you and, and follow this journey on the documentary? That's an easy, easy answer because I got very lucky with my with my uh, uh, company name, and it's just Me Too What Now, all one word. Don't separate any of those words. Just Me Too What Now, all in letters. If you just Google that, you'll find my website. You'll find Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and um, and and or just Google my name, Ed Squire, and I'm I'm just um, I suddenly appear to be everywhere and uh, I would love to connect with people and I interact with people on a regular basis and you know as they say on your YouTube uh, videos um, I, I really appreciate when people subscribe to the channel because it raises 
uh, the you know my my visibility with YouTube's algorithm and people are able to find me easier and that's that's the whole goal so uh, that's uh, yeah I, I would love uh, for people to uh, just check it out and, and, and see what they think about it awesome and audience I'll have that information in the show notes Ed great to talk with you again uh, thank you for everything and uh, for um, the awesome work that you're doing and continuing to do thanks Michael until next time, everybody, be well. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get as a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.